Section 19, Chapter 12, Part 2 of The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section 19, Chapter 12, Part 2. Kit Carson had arrived at the place with his escort, and was about establishing his camp. His men were under orders to keep a vigilant watch for Indians, while Kit Carson's restless eye was searching the country in every direction to discover their signs. About three hundred yards distant, he discovered white men, and found there was encamped a company of United States volunteers under the command of Lieutenant Maloney. With his company was a large train of wagons bound for New Mexico. Kit Carson ordered his men to go into camp. The night passed without any sign of the Indians, but early in the morning of the subsequent day, as Lieutenant Maloney's men were leading out their animals to picket them in fresh grass, the savages suddenly made their appearance and began an attack upon the picketing party, capturing all their cattle and twenty-six horses. Maloney's men had left their rifles in camp, and therefore, in order to escape being killed, they retreated to their wagons. The cattle, in the confusion which ensued, turned and came towards Kit Carson's camp. He and his men, who were instantly on the alert, made an unexpected charge upon the Indians and recaptured the oxen. During the skirmish which ensued, two of his men dismounted in order to be more certain of a deliberate aim. But in doing so, they accidentally let their own horses go loose and lost them, as they ran away with those that had been stampeded by the red men. In this affair, three of the volunteers were wounded. With the two horses lost by Kit Carson's men, twenty-eight riding animals belonging to the United States government were stolen by this band of Comanches. But had it not been for Kit Carson and his men, Lieutenant Maloney would have lost his cattle likewise. Young oxen, when stampeded, are sometimes lost by the Indians. When not killed by wolves, they usually join with the herds of buffalo and soon become wild. In this state, they are represented as being quite fleet of foot. More generally, they fall a prey to the wolves, and sometimes again into the hands of the savages. A party was crossing the plains in the year 1854. The advance party sent back word that the first buffalo was in sight. Many amateur hunters eagerly volunteered for the chase, and soon quite a squad of men were traveling at a good round gallop towards the supposed game. On approaching the game, it was found to be an old lame ox, which had been turned out by some caravan to die. The disappointment which prevailed in this crowd of neophyte hunters on discovering this mistake can better be imagined than described. The poor ox, apparently, had no idea of giving up the ghost quite yet. He was in good health and spirits, and showed signs of being pleased to see a white man again. The little birds of the prairies had used him as a perch. This office he appeared quite accustomed to perform, for he did not disturb the flock that was then occupying his back. How he had escaped the wolves is a miracle. From signs discovered after the Indians decamped, it became evident that several of the thieves had been mortally wounded, but being tied on their horses, they were carried out of sight before they died. This is a fair example of many of the Indian fights which have occurred, and are yet not unfrequent on the prairies. The object of savages is to plunder, therefore an unguarded moment is selected for their attacks. In this instance, by the time the whites had got their firearms and men ready to commence the contest, 
the Indians had perpetrated their intended assault and were off. The Comanches are excelled by no men in the world in their horsemanship, not exempting the famous Cossacks of Europe. The level prairies are beautiful fields for them to act on. It is in a skirmish similar to this one we have endeavored to describe that they put these qualifications to the test. The arena where these scenes are enacted is a very undesirable place for the mere spectator. Kit Carson and party resumed their march the same day and arrived safely at Santa Fe without meeting any other adventures. At this town he left his escort of fifty volunteers and hired sixteen other men with which to perform the remainder of his journey. This was in obedience to the orders he had received at Fort Leavenworth. Pursuing his route on Muddy Creek, a tributary of Virgin River, he came upon a village of some three hundred Indians so suddenly as his route twisted among the hills that he had to make a bold matter of it and go into camp for the purpose of having a talk. Kit Carson had learned some time before that these very red men had massacred seven Americans. For this reason, he determined not to trust them, even if they professed friendship. The Indians wished to come into his camp, but this privilege he would by no means grant to them. He posted his men and selected a place so that he himself could talk and at the same time let them see that if the least hostile demonstration was made by their side, it would be answered by a volley of bullets from the rifles of the white men. Kit Carson harangued them and informed them that he knew of the murders they had committed on his people during the past year. He told them that they bore a treacherous character and could not be treated as friends, and wound up his discourse by adding that he would not allow himself to be deceived, for he knew that their only object in getting admission into his camp was to repeat their bloody act. He now gave them a limited period of time in which to be off, at the expiration of which several lounged about, apparently doubting his words. He now gave the orders to fire. In consequence, a few shots were aimed at them, which killed one and wounded three or four others. This had the tendency to hurry the movements of the remainder, who retired from the dangerous proximity to his camp. This was a case which required some nerve and great experience in the commander of the little party. Nothing but the personal courage and promptness of Kit Carson saved his command. The success of fifteen men against three hundred Indians in this matter is chiefly due to their commander. The party proceeded on their journey, but soon were troubled for food. Having used up all the game they could find, they were obliged to kill two mules on which they lived until they arrived at Los Angeles. Kit Carson, finding that the officers to whom he was ordered to deliver his dispatches were at Monterey, journeyed thither, and having reached that town in safety gave the documents to Colonel Mason, then of the 1st Regiment of the United States Dragoons, who was in command. Obeying orders, Kit Carson, now an acting lieutenant in the United States Army, returned to Los Angeles and was assigned to duty in the company of the United States Dragoons, commanded by Captain Smith. Kit was allowed little time to recruit, but his restless disposition did not ask, nor his habits require it. Consequently, he remained at Los Angeles only a short period. With a command of twenty-five dragoons, he was ordered to proceed to Tohon Pass, the main outlet through which hostile Indians went out of California, bearing the proceeds of their incursions, such as cattle, horses, sheep, and captives. Kit Carson's duty in this place was to intercept the Indians and examine their papers and cargoes. He spent the winter in doing much good in this service. In the spring, he was again ordered to proceed overland to Washington with dispatches. An escort being furnished him, he was soon under way, and had reached Grand River without encountering any serious difficulty. 
at this place an accident happened to his party while crossing the river on rafts during the early part of the summer the fording of streams which have their source in the rocky mountains is no safe or easy task when the sun and warm south winds begin to melt the immense piles of snow and ice in the mountains the water comes tumbling down in torrents and having overflowed the river's banks floods the adjacent country by this means new gullies and ravines are continually forming which when the melting process ceases are converted into dry beds with this rush of angry water large rocks and masses of earth are swept from their natural seat leaving a wreck behind that is fearfully grand to behold the roaring of these torrents as they come leaping past and over every obstacle resembles a low rumbling thunder which is re-echoed through the deep forest and canyons sometimes travelers are compelled to wait weeks before these rivers fall sufficiently to allow a safe transit heavy rains have the same effect to enlarge them and in one instance a body of soldiers while crossing the plains were overtaken by these rains which fell with such rapidity and in such quantity as to make the level prairies almost one sheet of water while every ravine was converted into a river swift and deep to cross these the men were obliged to use their best exertions with very poor means to guard against loss and even with the best care one man was drowned while several mules shared the same fate in the prospective construction of bridges for high roads and railroad tracks across the continent in certain seasons of the year this sudden accumulation and explosion of water may cause trouble by sweeping them suddenly away this accident crippled the resources of kit carson's party very much and caused them afterwards great suffering the accident occurred something after the following manner one division of the men with their leader as a companion had constructed a float of logs on which they had crossed the stream in safety but the second branch of the party under charge of lieutenant brewerton then of the united states army and who was traveling in company with kit carson were not so successful with their raft for no sooner did they get it into the swift current than it became unmanageable and finally precipitated its contents among which included several of the men and their luggage into the water the wrecked men with great difficulty saved their lives by swimming to the shore from which they had started the day was far spent and no attempt to succor them could be made that evening so in their semi-state of nudity and without the means of making a fire they passed a miserably cold night but early the next morning one of their friends recrossed and carried them an axe by the aid of which a new raft was made on which they embarked a second time and were soon safe with their companions among the very useful articles that were lost by this mishap there were several saddles and six valuable rifles what made this loss peculiarly unpleasant was that they could not be replaced until the party could reach the settlements the owners of the saddles were now in a sad plight for neither to the rider or his horse is it a very pleasant prospect to make a long journey without these useful articles after repairing their damages as best they could they struck out afresh setting aside hunger and the suffering experienced from exposure to cold they were not again incommoded in any way until they had come to the vicinity of the mexican towns here they met several hundred utah and apache indians these redskins showed some warlike symptoms which kit carson did not in the least fancy but to make the best of his situation he ordered his men to post themselves in a neighboring thicket and be ready to act on the defensive kit carson then informed the indians that they must keep at a proper distance 
or otherwise he would direct his men to fire into them he told them that if they were disposed to be friendly which they professed to be towards the white men they could show it by leaving and not annoying his party who being nearly naked and in destitute condition could give them nothing evidently the savages saw this was true and so did not hazard a fight but departed kit carson traveled that night ten miles further it was late in the day when he again ventured on the trail but this distance was all that his animals could accomplish without food and rest for they were fatigued and poor his object in thus resuming his march was to separate himself and men as far as he could from the indians fearing that they might change their minds and conclude to attack him being too weak his party was in no condition for an engagement at the end of this distance he fortunately met with a party of volunteers who had been out in search of these very savages in order that they might punish them for some rascality that they had been recently guilty of the next day kit carson reached taos where he allowed himself a short respite for the purpose of recruiting and also to have the pleasure of a visit to his family and friends these were privileges which during his life in the mountains had been seldom granted to him though his feelings of attachment for relatives and intimate acquaintances are not exceeded by those of any living man indeed his love for his children is unbounded we have several times heard him assert that if there was any one thing that could make him a coward it would be the thoughts of his little ones when his party was sufficiently recruited kit carson left taos and proceeded to santa fe at this time colonel newby of the illinois volunteers was in command of the united states forces stationed there this gentleman informed kit carson that his appointment as lieutenant made by president polk was not confirmed by the united states senate many of kit's friends on hearing this came to him and advised him not to carry the dispatches any further but instead they counseled him to deliver them to the commanding officer of the post he was at advising him that he was doing duty as an officer in the army and yet was not recognized by government the language used by kit carson on this occasion in reply to his friends is so much to his credit and is so like the man that every american citizen ought to know it it was as follows i was entrusted with these dispatches having been chosen in california from whence i come as the most competent person to take them through safely i would try to fulfill this duty even if i knew it would cost me my life it matters not to me while i am performing this service for my country whether i hold the rank of lieutenant in the united states army or am known merely as an experienced mountaineer i have gained some little honor and credit for the manner in which i have always conducted myself when detailed on any special and important business and i would on no account now wish to forfeit the good opinion formed of me by a majority of my countrymen because the united states senate did not deem it proper to confer on me an appointment which i never solicited and one which had i been confirmed i would have resigned at the termination of the war the reasons why the wishes of the president were not carried out by congress in this instance we know not but certainly it is that the lucky aspirant who eventually received this office at the hand of the same united states had no credentials to present that could as far as merit was concerned compare with those held by christopher carson it is fair to infer that kit carson had but few friends at court though it cannot for one moment be supposed that his name was not well known at washington when for five long years he had been the right-hand man of john c fremont in his explorations the privations and hardships which that commander and his guide willingly submitted to during those years 
it is impossible to describe through reports the whole newspaper press of the united states together with several volumes of well-written books have attempted it but all have failed in giving a true picture of the reality these things avail nothing when brought in contact with political moves and kit carson was doomed to go by the board he had however met during his eventful life with too many disappointments to be much chagrined at this and we find him soon afterwards making inquiries in relation to the state of feeling among the indians who inhabited the country through which he had to pass the appointment of civilians to the responsible duties of a command in the united states army has of late years become in many instances very unfortunate perhaps it is this that has taught our legislators a lesson but there is a truth which lies above this difficulty the severe ordeal necessary to be gone through with at west point in order to make a military man of the proper standard has very naturally raised a jealousy between these two classes of men this is very healthy for the country as it stimulates each to noble exertions in order to make the army less secluded it is necessary to appoint a certain percentage of men from the walks of private life and therefore the most meritorious should be selected west point men as a body are a great credit to our country and as a scientific corps they cannot be surpassed but the fact is incontrovertible that many if not most of the leading officers of the united states army are self-educated and have risen to their exalted positions by untiring industry and distinguished services for frontier work men to be capable of taking command are required to have great experience in indian strategy and to become accustomed to endure privations and vicissitudes these cannot be taught by schools or books for these positions those are best fitted who have been trained to the mountains from earliest boyhood and where is the man in north america who has battled in this service longer or more successfully than christopher carson but kit carson could see no reason why the votes of the united states senators refusing to confirm the president's effort to reward him for his services to his country should cause him for one moment to swerve from his duty he pocketed at once his disappointment and went to work colonel newby informed him that the comanches had of late been very hostile and that they were roaming in war parties numbering from two to three hundred scattered along the old santa fe road on which their depredations had so far been mostly committed on learning this kit carson determined to make a trail of his own and endeavor thus to avoid them he reduced the number of his escort to ten trusty followers with them he returned to taos and after a halt there of two days once more was on the march at first he traveled to the northward until he reached a tract of country which these indians seldom visited then changing his route by compass he struck the bijou river which is a tributary of the platte river and followed it downstream at about twenty-five miles from the mouth of the bijou he quit that stream and struck out diagonally across the prairies and soon reached the platte itself down which he journeyed to fort kearney here he again changed his course for the republican fork on leaving this last named stream he traveled direct to fort leavenworth finally reaching that post with his men and animals in fine condition for the journey had been as pleasant as could have been expected here he left his escort and set out alone for washington after reaching the land of railroads and steamboats he was but a few days in bringing the latter part of his journey to an end 
handing his dispatches to the proper authorities kit carson turned right about and made his way to new mexico where he arrived in the month of october eighteen forty eight it will be seen by following on a map the route which kit carson planned on this occasion that it was very circuitous and led him a great distance out of his way indeed he was at times far beyond the roaming grounds of the comanches but this was necessary he was not however free from danger but was obliged to be on the lookout for their allies the kiowas who are usually at war whenever the comanche nation is his trail led him through a country which is celebrated as abounding in game and also being well watered at last but not least the desideratum of finding grass of good quality whenever he desired it was proved a valuable assistant on the march it may be well to mention here that one of the most curious of the phenomena of the plains to the inexperienced traveller are those mirages which on every clear day are sure to meet and delude his eyes so wonderful are these deceptions that often the vision leads one to believe he is beholding in the distance a beautiful city which is located on the banks of some attractive lake the outlines of the palaces spires of cathedrals and even the lesser buildings themselves all surrounded with trees bearing luxuriant and green foliage together form an imaginary picture which throws into the background any of the realities which are the work of man the shading is oftentimes very captivating and on it the traveller can be entertained for hours until a change in the rays of light or intervening clouds or else by approaching the delusion itself the magic scene fades away a mirage and a prairie fire seen by night the one a delusion the other a fearful reality are two of the grandest sights to be seen in the far west we might add on the american continent end of section nineteen chapter twelve part two